So if you would, turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We're going to do verses 13 through 25 today. Romans 7, 13 through 25. If you're using a blue Bible, it's page 1044. So Romans 7, 13 through 25, page 1044. So last week I told you I was going to preach to verse 20. And that was the plan. The plans changed. Uh, I was going to do verse 20 today and then I was going to finish the chapter next week. But what I decided a few days ago is that I'm going to do 13 to 25 today. And then I'm going to do a second message with a different emphasis next week. So our passage today is 13 through 25. Our passage next week is 13 through 25 also. So with that being said, I'm going to read. Follow along with me if you would. Paul says this. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. And if you want to know what he's talking about, read verse 12. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh. Sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want. I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it. But sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Raise your hand if you can relate to this guy. <laughs> Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. But sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Take four or five minutes. Read it to yourself, dive into it as much as you can, and we'll have a discussion in just a few minutes. Our passage today, 
we find a man that is being very, very honest. Raise your hand if you like an honest preacher. <laughs> I, uh, coming into Romans 7, I, you know, I saw this coming. I've been a student of Romans for my whole Christian life, 20 plus years. And I saw Romans 7 coming many, many months ago, and I knew that some of the things in Romans 7 are, are difficult to discern, to understand, to figure out, to handle. And we must today, as we consider these words, we must understand them in their proper place within the book of Romans. If you come to Romans 7, 13 through 25, and you don't think about anything before it, or anything in chapter 8, then you will come away with a very misunderstood Christian life. If the only thing you're studying and researching is our passage today, then you're going to have a very short-sighted view of your life today with God. Consider what we've seen throughout the entire book of Romans. We began in Romans 1 with a statement about the gospel being the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then we saw in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we saw the need for salvation was because we and all of mankind have been given over to sin. We have broken the law of God. We have rejected God as our king. Maybe not in every single way that we could have, but we've all done it to some degree. And because of that, we've incurred guilt. We stand before God as guilty, condemned people because of how we've lived our lives. But then come in end of Romans 3, into chapter 4, into chapter 5, and we see that God... In His great love for us and for His own glory, He saves sinners. He takes lawbreakers, He takes criminals, He takes His own enemies, and He wipes away their sin. Jesus Christ poured out His blood on that cross as a perfect sacrifice so that sinners could be saved. And now, since Jesus has died and risen again, anyone who looks to the cross, who looks to Jesus, who looks to the Savior, by faith. And remember our catechism today. What is faith in Jesus? It's receiving and resting on Him alone for salvation. Anyone who does that receives eternal life. Anyone who does that becomes a Christian. And so... We got to Romans 5, verses 20 and 21. If you have a Bible, and please grab one if you don't have one in your lap. There, most of the chairs have one underneath them. There's going to be a lot of different things we look at today. But look at Romans 5, verse 20 with me. And I did not realize when I preached on Romans 5, 20, how important these two verses were to all that would come next. But we see in Romans 5.20 that God's law came in to increase the trespass. God's law, His commands, His basic commands came in 
to show us our sin. So we have the law of God. It increases the presence of sin. It increases our own awareness of sin. Verse 20 goes on to say that where sin increases, God's grace increases even more. So we've got three things here in chapter 5, verse 20. We've got the law of God, His commands. We've got sin that uses the law of God to get us stirred up and disobey. We've got the law of God that exposes sin. So we've got law, we've got sin, but we also have grace. And where there is sin, there is God's grace made available. So we've got law, we've got sin, we've got grace. Look at Romans 5.21. As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign. That's not talking about the water that comes out of the clouds and hits the ground and makes your yard muddy. It's not that kind of rain. It has to do with who is king. So chapter 5.21 says... That sin wants to reign, but God's grace conquers sin. So we've got law, we've got sin, and we've got grace in these last two verses of chapter 5. And then what he does in chapter 6 is he talks about the relationship between God's grace and our sin. You know, can, since we have God's grace, does that mean we can just keep on sinning? Absolutely not, he says. And he deals with that entire idea all over chapter 6. Well, then as soon as we get into chapter 7, we start having a conversation about the law of God. And we're not focused on grace so much anymore. Grace is not the focus of chapter 7 as it was chapter 6. We're still talking about sin. But now we're talking about the law of God and its relation to sin. We're talking about God's commands and how His good commands, because His commands are not sinful, but how His good commands reveal sin. So chapter 6 is about grace and sin. Chapter 7 is about the law and about sin. And in chapter 7 we see that the law reveals our sin. It points out our sin. And if you don't understand that, just ask, let me ask you this. Have you ever had anyone confront you about something and they were right? Now, we've all had people confront us about stuff and they were wrong, right? <laughs> but think about a time in your life when someone said, you did this to me and you shouldn't have. That's what the commands of God do for us. They expose our sin. So early on in chapter 6, we saw that as Christians, we don't belong to the law anymore. God's law is not our spouse, but Christ is our spouse. We belong to Christ now. And in chapter 7, verse 6, let's, we'll, we'll be in chapter 7 now. No longer in chapter 5. But in chapter 7, verse 6, Paul says that we're released from the law. And what he means by that is we're no longer under the law's curse. 
We're no longer under the law's condemnation because we have a Savior. We belong to Christ. He goes on to say in verse 6, We have died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So before we became a Christian, we were captive to the law of God and its curse. God's commands hung over us and exposed our unrighteousness. But now we belong to Christ. And now we have Christ's righteousness in us. In verse 6, it says the law held us captive. There was no way we could obey it. And when we get to verse 23 later today, we're going to see a different type of captivity. This captivity in chapter 7, verse 6 is only true for the person who has not become a Christian yet. But in our main passage today, we're going to see a particular type of captivity that Christians experience. Me, you, and Paul. Even though Romans 6.14 says that sin has no dominion over you, we are not yet outside of the power and influence of sin, are we? And every honest Christian understands that. Look at chapter 7, verse 11. We see what the law does. We see what sin does with the law. Chapter 7, 11. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, it killed me. So we see that the sin, I mean, that the law exposed this sin. It brought death to him and showed him that he was spiritually dead. And it, well, it deceived him also, it said before talking about death. Excuse me. But does that mean the law is bad? Does that mean the law is sin? And last week we saw in verses 12 and in verse 13 that the law is good. God's command is not the problem, but sin is the problem. In chapter, or in verses 7 through 12 that we covered last week, we saw how God's commands affect a person who's not saved yet. We saw how God's commands brings conviction to someone who's not yet a Christian. And we saw that God's command isn't going to save anybody. It reveals our sin, but it doesn't undo our sin. It doesn't deliver us from sin or rescue us from sin. So everything we looked at last week was the unconverted person's relationship with the law of God. But today, in our passage, this is the converted man's or woman's, the converted person's relationship with God's law. And you know what his whole point is today? It's not that he struggles with sin. That, that's a sub-point. But his whole point today is that the law of God 
does not give you power to say no to sin. It just defines sin and brings sin to your attention. Now, here's something that's hard about our passage today. It's hard for me, is, is that in chapter, it's, you know, when we get to chapter 8, then we're going to figure, we're, we're going to be taught how we overcome the sin. Because I don't want you to read this passage and think you're in a hopeless situation. If you're a constant, repetitive liar and you can't stop no matter what you do, I want you to know that it doesn't have to be that way for the rest of your life. But you're not going to learn that from chapter 7, 13 through 25. You're going to learn that in chapter 8, verses 1 and follow. So as I'm preaching today and you're thinking about maybe some particular struggle that you have, that you haven't overcome, I want you to know that there is hope for that, but you're going to have to come back next week and the week after to where we'll really, really, really focus on that. But Paul has to show, as he's talking about the law of God, that the law of God does not provide power for you to change and become a Christian. So practically speaking, what does that mean? That means you can't go to church and leave thinking, you know what, I've been awfully bad lately. I'm worried if I die, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to be really good this week, y'all. And I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to quit doing what I'm supposed to do. If, that's, if you leave here and that's all you're thinking and you're missing out on Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God and His power in you, then you're going to have no hope. You're depending on the law of God to save you or to sanctify you and make you live a more holy life. Don't do that. Don't do it. So verses 13 through 25 is about the Christian's relationship with the law of God. And just as the law cannot save the unconverted man, it cannot empower the converted person. The law does not justify sinners, and the law does not sanctify Christians. In chapter 6 of Romans, we saw that grace conquers sin, but the law of God does not conquer sin. In chapter 6, we saw that the grace of God conquers sin. In chapter 7, we see that the law of God does not conquer sin. In chapter 8, we're going to see that the Spirit of God produces obedience to God's law. You can obey the law of God, but you will never do it in your own strength. You will only do it as God's Spirit is in you. So that's the intro to the passage. It's the longest intro I've ever had. That's why I'm doing this in two sermons and not one. But I want us to have a proper context for verses 13 through 25. So let's look at verse... 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? What's he talking about? That which is good. He's talking about the law of God. In the previous passage, he was trying to show that the law was not sin, but the sin was good. I mean, that the law is good. And in verse 12, he says, The law is holy and righteous and good. So in verse 13, when he says, did that which is good, he's talking about the law. 
Verse 13. Did God's good law bring death to me? Did God's good law produce death in me? And the answer is by no means. It's that same very strong language. We've seen it three or four times so far in chapter 6 and 7. And it's as strong of a language as he can get to without saying a bad word. It's as strong of a language as he can say. He's saying the law is good and he's saying the law didn't kill me. But then he says, sin killed me. You see that in verse 13? Sin is why we die. If Adam and Eve wouldn't have disobeyed God in the garden, we have every reason to believe that they would have lived with God forever. But when they sinned, there were two types of death that took place. There was a spiritual death. They were separated from God in a way that they had never been before. And that's true for every person today who's not a Christian. But there was another type of death that happened when they disobeyed the commands of God and grabbed hold of that fruit that they weren't supposed to have. And that is that there was physical death. So sin in the garden took God's good command and produced death in Adam and Eve. And then we've had the same sinful nature that overcame them when they chose to sin. You know, they lost free will in the garden. They became in bondage to sin. And now we have that same bondage when we're born. I didn't do this intentionally, but one of our scripture readings today, Psalm 51, David said, in sin my mother conceived me. He's saying I had a sinful nature nine months before I was born. And we're right there with him. So, back to verse 13. Sin produced death in me through what is good. That is God's good law. Now, we have this idea of death in verse 13. Look ahead to verse 24. Look ahead to verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, I'm going to talk about that a lot next week. But I just want to point out now that this idea of death is from beginning to end in our passage today. And that sin is responsible for our death. So, sin is the murderer and law is the weapon. You know, And I used the illustration last week. You know, guns don't kill people. And I realize that's controversial politically, but it's true. It's just a fact of this world. People use guns to kill people. And just like a person can grab a gun to kill someone, sin grabbed the law to bring death and to kill us, to kill people. So why did this happen? It says in verse 13, this happened in order that. Here's the purpose. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. What Paul's saying here is this is just getting more and more obvious. He goes on to say, 
and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What does it mean that something is beyond measure? It means your measuring tape isn't long enough is what it means. It means your measuring tape is not long enough. I've got several 25-foot measuring tapes at home. And there's been different times in here, we've, this room that we've moved furniture around and stuff, and, and probably more than any other church you've ever been to, right? But I can't pull my 25-foot measuring tape from one wall all the way to the opposite wall because it's more than 25 feet. It is obviously bigger than what I'm able to measure with the tools that I have. And in this verse, he's saying that when the law of God comes, When we as Christians think about the commands of God, we see how great sin is in the world. Sin is everywhere in our world today. And when you bring the commands of God out, you see it so clearly. All right, let's move on. We get to verse 14. Paul says this. We know that the law is spiritual. He's still saying the law is good. But he goes on to say, But I am of the flesh. I am sold under sin. He's making a comparison. He's saying that God's good law is just that. It's good. And it's from the Holy Spirit. But he's saying about himself, I am of the flesh. I have a sinful nature. And he says this, I am sold under under sin. He's making a comparison between himself and God's commands. Now, so he speaks of the goodness of the law. He says, I am of the flesh. This also means, it can be translated, unspiritual. So God's law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. It can also mean carnal. And he says, I'm sold under sin. Now, I got to tell you, I had a real struggle with Paul saying this. Because the man that's saying he's sold under sin is chapter 7 doesn't seem like the same guy that wrote chapter 6. Do you remember in chapter 6, verse 14? He says, sin will have no dominion over you. Because you're not under the law, but under grace. So, so how can a man say, I'm sold under sin, when he says, sin shall have no more dominion over me? It almost sounds like he's not a Christian. But we know that's not the case. A few days of head scratching and some research, the conclusion I've come to is obviously that Paul never contradicts himself. Whenever you see a contradiction in the Bible, you don't understand something. The problem's not with the Bible, the problem's with you. The problem was with me. And and I knew that. But as I was digging, and I'm looking at chapter 6, verse 14, it's saying that sin is not your master. But when in chapter 7, verse 14, when it says I'm sold under sin, he's not saying anything different from chapter 6, 14, verse 14. But he is saying what we see in verse 17. Look at chapter 7, verse 17. If you want to know what 14 means when it says I'm sold under sin, look at verse 17 at the end. He's saying that sin dwells in me. That's all he's saying. I still struggle with sin. I am still 
tempted. So, verse 15, chapter 7, verse 15, he says this. For I do not understand my own actions. All right, now he's talking about his understanding. He's, he's using his brain. He's using his mind. All right, remember that. It's going to come in important later. He's thinking with his mind, and he's saying the things that I do, do don't line up with what's going on in my head. We go on through verse 15, and he says this. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Here's the honest child of God right here. This is the honest child of God. We still struggle with sin and we're not perfect in this life. I get angry. I say things I shouldn't say. I get impatient. I use a tone of voice or have an outburst. We've all got our things. And Paul is confessing here that the struggle and the temptation is clear and real. Turn to Galatians with me real quick. It's behind Romans. You'll see Corinthians and then you'll see Galatians. So Romans, Corinthians, Galatians. Turn to Galatians 5 with me for a moment. Galatians 5, look at verse 17. Galatians 5, 17. Page 1077. Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit. And the desires of the Holy Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The reason there's a battle raging in you is because God's Spirit is in you and you long to do what's right. You long to obey God, but there's also a sinful nature inside of you that is still trying to take control of you. Now here in Galatians 5, he's talking about the Spirit. Now, he doesn't bring up the Spirit in our passage today in Romans 7. But the same man who wrote Galatians 5 also wrote Romans 7. The same man that writes Galatians 5 also wrote Romans 8. And when we get to chapter 8, we're going to see how the Spirit changes this struggle with temptation and this battle that we have in this life as a Christian. While we're in Galatians 5, look at verse 16. Paul's command is this. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you can overcome sin. You can conquer sin. Not completely and entirely by any means at all. But there can be radical change in your life because of the Spirit of God. And we'll go into that a lot more over the next few weeks. So back to Romans 7, verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Here we have his mind again. Remember in verse 15, he's talking about his understanding. Well, here he's talking about his agreement. He's using his mind. Look at verse 17. 
So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What does that mean? Well, we're going to see in verse 18 and following what verse 17 means. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And I want to tell you this. As, as Paul says, it's no longer I that sin, but sin that dwells in me. He, not for a moment, is saying that we aren't accountable. But he's saying that these things, these temptations, go against our reason and our conscience and what we know is right. And that's why I'm emphasizing the role of the mind, the role of our knowledge. It's emphasized in this text. We've seen it about understanding in verse 15. We've seen it about agreement in verse 16. So go to 18. And verses 18 through 20 is almost exactly the same as 15 through 17. Verses 18 through 20 say almost exactly the same thing as 15 through 17. And they even have the same conclusion. Look look at 17 and look at 20. They end by saying that sin dwells in me. So, verse 18 For I know that nothing good dwells in me. He's talking about his mind again. He's an honest man. And he knows the true state of his soul. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire. There's the mind again. I have the desire to do what is right. But not the ability to carry it out. And here's a second phrase that I've had a lot of trouble with over these last few weeks. When he says, I didn't have the ability to carry it out, out," I'm sitting here thinking, but what about the Holy Spirit? Paul, don't you have the Holy Spirit? And and of course he does. We're going to see that in chapter 8. But right now, when he, in these verses, he's not, the Spirit isn't a part of the equation. That's next week. In these verses, he's just talking about his own human strength. Did you know, every one of us in here, You do not have the power to say no to sin when it calls you apart from the Spirit of God. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? It's not crazy. It's biblical. But isn't that, doesn't that go against our our natural understanding? See, God issues commands, but we can't follow them without God's power in us. You can't obey God without the power of God inside of you. We get to verse 19. Paul says, I don't do the good that I want to do. But the evil is what I keep on doing. This is a regular struggle. There is no part of this man that is thinking, maybe after I've been a Christian for 15 years, I won't struggle with sin. (laughs) If you've loved Jesus and you have 10 more years of life left, I want to tell you, you're still going to have sin in you the day before you die, 10 years from now. We got some young Christians in this room. If you're in here and you love Jesus and you're going to live 80 more years, then you're still going to have some sin in you the day that you die. And that is truth from the scripture. Then verse 20, I've already told you, is almost exactly like verse 17. 
Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. We get to verse 21. Paul says this, I find it to be a law that when I want, here's the mind again, his desires, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. All right, we've already heard that, right? I really think verse 21 summarizes everything we've explored so far today in verses 14 through 20. And we get to verse 22. Well, it says in verse 21, I find it to be a law. That's not the law of God. He's saying this is a principle. This is a rule. This is an observation. He's summarizing 14 through 20. When I want to do what's right, evil is always with me. I don't want anyone to answer me here. Don't raise your hand. But have you ever, has God, let me say it like this. Has God ever used you to do something awesome? And then you went and got in the way and totally jacked it all up? There's one very popular preacher I know. He says this. I don't know him personally, but I've read and listened to him. He says this. He says he prays this every day. God, you are doing so much. Thank you so much. Lord, I pray I don't screw it up. And that's one of his prayers that he prays every day. And I I don't pray that every day, but I pray it often. When I want to do what's right, evil lies close at hand. We get to verse 22, and 22 sheds light on verse 21, the first part of 21. 22 says, I delight in the law of God. That's like verse 21, he's saying when I want to do right. He says he delights in the law of God in his inner being. So we have delight, that has to do with the mind again. His inner being, that also has to do with the mind. We get to verse 23, and Paul says, even though there's all that good stuff, verse 23, he says, I see in my members, that's his body, his physical body parts. And you can go back to chapter 6 and see all about that some more. But he says, I see in my members another law. Here's another observation about who I really am. Here's another principle that is true of me. There's another law in my members that's waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So have you ever felt like there's a war inside of you? And that's because there is. If you're here today and you don't think there's a war inside of you, then I just want to go ahead and say you are deceived. And you don't see anywhere close to the amount of sin that's in you. And if you don't think there's a war in you, you should cry out to God and say, God, I don't understand. But I need you to please teach me. If you don't see your sin, can you just pray that? Can you just trust me on that? It is what the word of God teaches from beginning to end. And I've seen it proven to be true in countless people's lives over and over again. So there's war inside of us. In the end of verse 23, he says that there, that, that, This war against the law of my mind makes me captive to the law of sin. See, there is a captivity. 
We're not under the dominion of sin, as Paul said in chapter 6.14. But there is a different type of captivity. My soul that has been saved by God is attached to my body that has not been redeemed yet. My soul that has been saved by God is attached to my body that has not been redeemed yet. We see there at the end of verse 23, he speaks of the law of sin. We're captive to the law of sin. What is the law of sin? I think, he's not super clear, but I think the law of sin is just that sin dwells in your body and is with you. We've already covered that. So we're captive to the law of sin. Sin dwells in my members. So we get to verses 14 and 25. I'm sorry, 24 and 25. And he cries out this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So in verse 23, he's saying the law of sin dwells in his members. What does it mean to dwell somewhere? It means to sit there, to squat there, to live there. Now, there's multiple landlords in this room. You ever had to evict somebody? You ever been evicted? (laughs) Y'all, an eviction needs to take place. This body that isn't saved yet and the sin that is inside of this body has to go away. And that will happen when we die. I'll unpack that whole idea much more next week. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to become one. Because there is sin and disobedience to God all over your life. Who can save? I tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior. He can wipe away your sin. All the punishment that God has for you and your sin that is awaiting you, He can take it away. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you receive him and rest in him as he has offered to us in the gospel, as our catechism taught us today. If you're a Christian here, please do not come to the false conclusion that one day in this life you will never struggle with sin. Do not believe in what some people call entire sanctification or sinless perfection. There's people like Joyce Meyer, and probably everyone in this room knows who she is. She teaches this. That you can live, you can get to a point in your Christian life where you don't sin anymore. I read her exact words this week saying that. Don't trust that lady and those types of teachers. She will lead you astray. There will never be a point in your life when you do not struggle with sin. 
I'm going to read a few verses really quick. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. How do we fight sin in this life as a Christian? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How do we defeat sin as a Christian? It's the same way we get saved. We look at our Savior. He doesn't just forgive us of our sin when we get started in the Christian life. But He takes away the power of sin and He offers us that power every single day. But us as Christians, we have to continue looking at the Savior every day. All right. First Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Don't you have evil passions inside of you? Sometimes the feelings are so strong because you just want to go and do something you want to do. Peter here says, abstain. Slam that door shut and don't have anything to do with it. And of course, we don't do that on our own strength. We do it in the spirit of God. But still, you have to do it. This is your responsibility. Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Paul says this, I haven't already obtained this and I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, here's what we got to do, y'all. Forgetting what lies behind. Can you do that? Can you forget who you were last year or 10 years ago? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Yeah, you used to take advantage of every single woman you saw, but you are not that man anymore. You used to cheat and lie and steal and drive over people with the bus and then back over them again. But that is not who you are. Isn't that good news? We forget what lies behind. We strain forward to what lies ahead. We press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I could go on. I'll stop there. This is God's word for us today. Let's take some time. Let's have a moment of silence and pray. God has spoken to us in his word. And let us now speak to him in prayer.
So let's take some silent time. After that, um, I will lead us in a prayer from our prayer guide this month. It was in your worship guide that you received when you entered today. It was written 300 years ago. It's a long prayer, but it has blessed my soul for many years. I've shared it with you before. I'm going to share it with you again. I'm going to pray that prayer over us. So if it doesn't sound like me praying, it's because I didn't write the prayer. But I'm still going to pray it because it's good. But I'm going to pray that prayer over us. And we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. And then we'll come to the table. So let's be silent. Let's be still before the Lord.